This podcast on medical lessons is brought to you by Solidamed in partnership with Lestenstein Development Agency. You are listening to ZMed Podcast, a platform that brings to you interesting discussions in medical education with your host, Mary Kuyela from Solidamed, the Swiss Organization for Health in Africa. Today, we are back to discuss resuscitation of newborn infant, and I'm joined by Fiona. Hi, Fiona. Hello, Mary. It's nice to be back on the platform. Good to have you back indeed. So today we are discussing resuscitation of newborn infants. And all I know is that an effective neonatal resuscitation reduces the risk of mortality and morbidity. But why are we really discussing this topic today? Okay. So first I would like to talk about the epidemiology of um, neonatal mortality. Neonatal mortality is a major concern worldwide. 23% 23% of neonatal mortality is due to beta asphyxia. Around 10% of newborns require assistance at birth. Neonatal asphyxia is one of the major causes of neonatal death in Zambia. So why are we discussing this topic? Mm-hmm. To start with, neonatal mortality or resuscitation is best discussed in a skills lab, at a workshop where you have tools and equipment so that at least you have a pictorial understanding of how to best resuscitate a baby. But we've, we've discovered that in some areas, they might not have the opportunity or the tools to learn how to resuscitate a newborn. So we're hoping that this audio program will help them at least listen and prepare themselves for a possibility of intervention in a newborn. Okay, interesting. So why should one know how to resuscitate? It's what we say called the golden one minute. The first one minute of a newborn baby will determine the outcome of that infant. Poor intervention at then can predispose a baby to have a, a permanent condition like cerebral palsy due to birth asphyxia. And it is worth noting that a general nurse, a clinical officer, a medical licentiate, or a general doctor should know the basic principles and the steps needed to resuscitate a newborn because these are our first contacts. They'll be the ones with the baby in the first 10 minutes of their lives. Okay, that's uh, good to hear. That brings me to my next question. How do you assess that uh, a newborn infant needs resuscitation? What guides you? Okay, so before we go to that point, the first thing that should be taken into consideration is the prerequisites for a successful neonatal resuscitation. I'll talk about four prerequisites for now. You need to assess perinatally if the baby is at risk of developing beta asphyxia. There are conditions that we know using an obstetric ultrasound scan where you notice that the baby has nuchal cord. This means the cord is around the neck. This might predispose the baby to beta asphyxia because that umbilical cord might start causing a tourniquet on the baby's neck when they enter into active phase, when the mother starts pushing. So these are the babies which are at risk of being born with a low APGA score. You may also note that in the second stage of labor, where the mother has skipped 4 centimeters of cervical dilatation, they might, go, they might have a spontaneous rupture of membranes or what we call arom, where we artificially rupture the membranes. And you discover that the lycra has got meconium, meaning the baby has passed through even before it is out of the mother's womb. 
there's a high risk that a baby might aspirate on that meconium. So as soon as you notice meconium stains like what, even before the baby is fully delivered, you have to prepare for a possibility of resuscitation. So this is just one point. Like I said, you have to assess the perinatal risk of neonatal asphyxia. Point number two, there should be quick response from the skilled team, meaning everybody should have knowledge of how to resuscitate a baby. By quick response, I mean upon knowing that the baby has been born flat or with a low APGA score, which I will discuss later, intervention should be done within the first one minute of life. There should be an organized resuscitation area, which means even before you incur a need for resuscitation, there should be already a laid out, a set um, room with all the um, needed apparatus to help resuscitate that baby. There should be a standardized neonatal protocol. I'm saying this because I work in casualty, but when I'm working a night shift or what you call a call, and there's need to resuscitate a baby, they might call upon me to go and help in intervening in labor ward. I should know the basic principles, of which if I, if I don't know what to do, at least there is a nurse there or there are posters around the neonatal room which will give me gadgets or highlights on how to best intervene or help the baby. So why should one know how to resuscitate? The question can be answered by first saying, what is the aim of resuscitating that baby? The initial aim at birth is to help transition the newborn from one world to another. That's transitioning them from the womb, the mother's womb, to the outside world. The gadget that we use to resuscitate the baby is called an APGA score. They are basically, it's a toolkit where you initially assess the baby at one minute, at five minutes, and at ten minutes. The five parameters in the APGA score are color, respiratory rate, heart rate, tone, and reflexes. These give a total of ten. In your neonatal resuscitation room, the APGA score should be clearly visible for everybody to read. And even before you start resuscitating the baby, you should have knowledge of the parameters and how to score. There is a mnemonic that was developed to help us remember the APGA score first. It's called, Can She Take Baby Home? You mark the initial letters in the words. So that's uh, C, S, T, T, B, B, H. H. Can she take baby home? Okay. So the C stands for color. You want the baby to be pink. The S starts for smile or sneezing. Not really that you expect the baby to sneeze, but it's trying to talk about reflexes, meaning a baby can respond to some stimuli. The T talks about tone. A newborn baby should have fully flexed arms and limbs. Of course, with special consideration of our preterm babies who might not have the muscle tone to help flex. The B stands for breathing, meaning a baby should have all spontaneous respirations upon delivery. And the H, of course, stands for heart rate. You aim at having a heart rate of 100 beats per minute or more in a newborn infant. So these are the, uh, the five parameters involved in an APCA score. Okay, so a baby can score 10 out of 10. Well, a baby can score 10 out of 10, but in practice, we don't usually use the number 10. Why? The best response we give is 9 out of 10. Because when you notice on the C, usually newborn babies are born with the pink central trunk and the bluish peripheries. This usually occurs because of the, the stress that the baby undergoes as they are going down the birth canal. 
So you find that the extremities will be blue. I'm talking about the hands and the legs. Not blue completely, but there will be a difference in color between the extremities and the central trunk, which will look more blue. So that will bring down the color score by one. Okay. And that gives it the 19. But I think on my card, they gave me 10 out of 10. <laughs> Worldwide. It's not acceptable. <laughs> right. Even oh. if the baby is born completely pink, mm. the standard is you always give the landmark 9, 9 out of 10. Okay. So... Are there other considerations that should be done apart from assessing need for resuscitation? Okay, that's an excellent question because not only should you assess if the baby can go home, there are also some steps which should be done. This stage is actually called the third stage of labor and there are interventions or skills that you need to perform at this stage in time. The first one is upon removing the baby, upon extracting the baby, you want to bring them straight to the mother's skin. Yes. Okay, so we call that skin-to-skin -skin, um, contact. What are the benefits? I've seen that in movies. I've heard it. What are the benefits of skin-to-skin -skin contact? Okay, okay. So first, let me even discuss what skin-to-skin -skin contact is. In Chilenja level one, even before we intervene anyway, upon extracting the baby, we put it straight on the mother's abdomen. The wiping of the baby, the cleaning, and all that initial assessment in one minute is done whilst the baby is on the mother's tummy. Now, let me talk about the three main benefits. Mm -hmm. Benefit number one is for keeping the baby warm. Skin to skin contact is known for keeping the baby warm. You want to aim for the temperature of the 6.5 to the 7.5. Point number two, it also helps in colonization of the baby. You know that the baby in utero was practically sterile. So upon being born, they have to get some normal flora to prevent them from secondary infection. So the first normal flora they'll get is from the mother, and it will occur from that skin-to-skin -skin contact. Point number three is it lowers the level of stress hormones. The baby was undergoing stress while it's going through the birth canal. So that skin-to-skin -skin contact will actually reduce the amount of stress hormones that the baby will be releasing. This information is from Crucial 2007. Okay, that's interesting. I like the science behind that. Okay, so let's talk about the, the steps now. What steps are involved in the resuscitation? Apart from skin-to-skin -skin contact, which is the first thing that we do, we also try to practice where applicable what is called delayed cord clamping, also called as DCC. The delay is at least one to three minutes after delivery. Benefits of delayed cord clamping include this improves the ion status in the next three to six months of the baby because there's that um, transfusion going on. So the baby tends to have enough iron to sustain them to produce uh, enough blood. In preterm, this has actually shown to be an advantage for them. They might actually reduce the risk of needing blood transfusion. We also want to breastfeed the baby within one hour. This information is according to NIS 2014. Within the first hour of life, you aim to breastfeed the baby. If possible, as soon as you cut the cord, Connect the baby to the mother as long as you've, kept, you've wrapped them and they are warm. There's also a place in preterm babies where you want to give the mother vitamin K. It helps um, to produce the coagulation that the baby needs. You might know that upon delivery, the baby is unable to, to absorb vitamin K because it depends on, it happens when the, the gut is colonized with the normal floras. So they can't really absorb the vitamin K. But in utero, you can give the mother vitamin K. We don't usually practice that in Zambia. But in preterm, it would be a good practice that the mother is given at least one injection 
of vitamin K before they deliver. You also want to prevent ophthalmia neonatura because during the birth canal, it's not sterile, they might acquire some infections down the line which will go in the baby's eyes and prevent and, and, and cause them to have some conjunctivitis. It could be chlamydia, it could be conococo. So there are some eye drops that you want to put in the baby's eyes at that point in time. So that is done in like how many minutes? The dosage or the eye drops can be done later. Okay. But skin-to-skin -skin contact is, is done immediately. Delayed con uh, cold, um, clamping is considered just upon delivery, especially if the baby delays to cry. You want to delay so when you say delay, we're talking about how many minutes here? One to three minutes. One to three. Acceptable. Okay, great. So Fiona, what stimulates the baby to start breathing? So the question is practically talking about the physiology of what causes the baby to start their first breaths in life. The first thing which will stimulate the baby to start breathing is the separation of the placenta. As soon as you cut the, the cord, the detachment, it will trigger the baby to start breathing. There are also situations where the baby has undergone an, a hypo, hypoxic state. So the baby will attempt to breathe because the body will register that there is a reduction in oxygen supply. Now, down the line in physiology, this is a point where I need you to understand exactly what happens because this is what is to determine when to intervene when mm -hmm. in terms of resuscitation. Because of hypoxia during birth, the fetus will attempt to breathe. If the hypoxia continues, the fetus will lose consciousness. The heart rate remains unchangeable at this point in time, but the neural centers in the brainstem will cease to function because of decreased oxygen. Mm -hmm. the, the baby, therefore, or the fetus, enters in what is called a primary apnea, apnea. This is simply baby stops breathing. So the heart rate soon decreases to half the normal rate. I mentioned that the heart rate should be at least 100 beats per minute. So it halves to about 50 as the myocardio, myocardium, the muscles of the heart, they revert to anaerobic metabolism. They start working without oxygen. So circulation to the non-viable organs is reduced in an attempt to preserve the perfusion to the vital organs, which includes the heart. So the release of lactic acid from that anaerobic respiration, it will worsen the respiratory acidosis. So what happens next? If hypoxia condition continues, the baby starts now to gasp. That's why you notice that the, the breathing rate is about 12 beats per minute. The baby starts to gasp. And if no intervention occurs at this point in time, the baby will now go into what you call secondary apnea or terminal apnea. And if no intervention is done at this point in time, the baby will assuredly die. If that baby succeeds, they will have brain damage for life. So it is important to understand the physiology so that you understand the logical approach on resuscitation. Most babies will usually respond to routine airway support. If no heart rate despite appropriate airway support, you start now chest compressions to make the oxygen from the heart to be pumped to the rest of the body. I think that's a brief on uh, basic understanding of physiology of breathing. All right. Thank you so much. So even after understanding the physiology and what goes on, let's talk about the steps in trying to do the resuscitation. How do you go about it? Okay. So the, the approach is as follows. Pre-humble, ABC applies to every situation in resuscitation, and the newborn infant is not an exception. So, 
You need to note the time that you started the resuscitation. The baby should be dried and covered even before you start any other intervention. Now you assess the situation with the aid of the APGASCO. All that is done in less than a minute. You need to decide if you need help within that same minute. And then now you start assessing the airway, the breathing, if there is inflation in the breath sounds, like if the chest is the chest are moving, or if there is need for chest compressions and uh, rarely needed if there will be need for drugs and intervention. So, how do you start? Like I mentioned, initial action is you start the clock. Upon deciding to resuscitate, start the clock. Dry the baby. Sometimes just drying the baby will stimulate them to start crying. You assess if she can be taken home by use of the APGASCO. And then you decide if you need help. So let's talk about the ABCs. Mm-hmm. Airway. You note that in an unconscious neonate, air obstruction is not due to obstruction or a foreign body. It's actually due to loss of pharyngeal tone, the pharynx. So you have to position the neonate in a certain way. There is no need for routine suctioning if you cannot see any lycra or if the baby was born from a clear lycra. There might not be need for suctioning. If you are going to suction in terms where the baby was born with mucus or meconium in the, in the airway, you have to suction under direct vision, meaning you have to see what you are sucking out. If mm-hmm. you don't see anything, don't suck. You hold the baby in a neutral position. There are many literature and books which show how you hold the baby. The jaw up, knee thrust. Um, okay. There are many literature which shows the position of how to hold the baby. So in a word, drills should be done on how to position a baby. You don't want to attempt to position a baby upon resuscitation because around that time, people are in panic state. That's why someone skilled should already pre, um, uh, pre-educate the members in that department. So that's mostly it about the airway support. And uh, in which, what's the, what's the best uh, position? Okay, like I said, it's called the neutral position. Neutral. The baby lies in spine, spinal position, facing mm-hmm. upwards. Mm-hmm. Then you try to jerk the, ba- the head of a baby up, yes, upwards. You try to open the airway. You don't want the, the, the chin of the baby to be touching the chest because that will occlude the airway. Okay. On B, we have breathing. You still don't rush to give oxygen. If baby is failing to breathe, you start with natural air. So how are you going to give the natural air? You get an ambibac. You start giving at five breaths each. And you give them slowly, two to three seconds compressing. And you aim at the compression being at least 30 uh, centimeters of water pressure. It's like saying a third of the, of the calf. That's compression. So then assess. There should be an increase in heart rate just from the five breaths that you shall give. If the heart rate responds, then you assume that the lungs have been inflated. There might not be need for intervention from then on. So if there's airway obstruction, you are intervening by uh, the cuffs, but you're noticing that the chest is not moving. You reassess, was there meconium in this baby? A screaming baby, by the way, means that the airway is open. Mm-hmm. But a flat baby, you start assessing, is there meconium? Is there thick mucus? Maybe there's blood or vemix. Vemix is a white thing, the white um, coating which some babies are born with. It might actually broke the airway as well. So you notice that if the heart rate increases just from those five breaths, it increases to above 60, then uh, baby is not breathing. You might need now to ventilate the baby 
you increase now from the, the routine five breaths to 30 breaths per minute until the baby is breathing well. Under circulation, which usually you don't go as far as circulation, but if you reach that point, if the chest is moving, the heart rate is too slow, commence chest compressions. Where do you want to compress? Three centimeters below the zimpustena. You put at a ratio of three to one, meaning on the chest cavity, only a third of compression down. You don't want to reach the spine behind. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you start with uh, your chest compression. This helps to move the oxygenated blood from the lungs to the coronary arteries of the heart to reduce then, the anaerobic respiration. At this point in time, you might consider checking the random blood sugar because the heart muscles are born with the glycogen stores to help them to start working at that point in time. But because of the stress that the baby has gone through, they might be depleted of sugar or glucose levels. So at this point in time, you check the RBS. You may need to give now supplementary oxygen because now the, air, the natural air might not be helpful. At this point in time, if you've been resuscitating for 20 minutes or over, you must know that eh, the there will be most likely poor prognosis because there's been brain asphyxia for some time or brain hypoxia rather for some time. On D, we're talking about drugs and fluids. As I mentioned later uh, earlier, drugs are rarely needed. Only if there's no significant cardiac output despite effective lung inflation and chest compressions. Now, the first uh, drug that we give is 10% dextrose. This is given at 3 to 5 mils per kg as a bolus. So you notice that for you to give that dextrose, you should put an IV line. We have stopped the practice of giving perectal dextrose. Now we are only IV access from the way it go. If the heart rate is less than 60, you might consider giving epinephrine, also, also called adrenaline, 1 in 10,000 dilution. You give it at 0.1 mil per kg. And uh, you might go as far as 0.3 mils per kg. There is a place where you can give a bolus of normal saline. There is a place where you can give a bolus of normal saline, also called a sodium chloride. This occurs if there was APH, antipartum hemorrhage, meaning the mother was bleeding even, even before the baby was delivered. So there could be hypovolemia at that point in time. At this time, you're going to give 10 mils per kg over 10 to 20 seconds as a bolus. In extreme situations, you might give sodium bicarbonate because this baby might have gone into acidosis. If you're going to give sodium bicarbonate, it's best administered under umbilical vein catheter, meaning you're going to catheterize, you're going to put an IV line, a catheter, on the umbilical veins. Or intraosseous, that's when you can administer sodium bicarbonate. I think with our ABCD, those are the basics that you need to know. Okay, it sounds like a quick intervention that you have to do. How does a bad and a good situation look like from your experience? Upon extraction of the baby, if the baby comes out white, you are not sure whether it's the anemia or it's the hypoxia. Already there you are anticipating a bad situation. Or if the baby comes out completely cyanosed because you don't know how long the hypoxia has been. Or a baby has meconium grade 3. That's like the meconium is like porridge. Mm -hmm. You don't know how much the baby has aspirated. Or baby is born less than 1.4 kgs. 
and they already have a bad uh, or low APCA score, like six and below. You already know that the prognosis might be not so good. And a good one? Okay, a good situation is within one minute, with the quick interventions, you're already noticing a good cry, or the heart rate has increased, or the baby just becomes pink, then you know what, eh? there's, there's progress, most likely the outcome will be good. And uh, if resuscitation is successful within 5 to 10 minutes, that's a very good outcome. Okay, so at what point is the decision made to refer to a higher health uh, facility? So if you are at a rural health center or a first-level hospital, there's a protocol in the UTH neonatal uh, resuscitation protocol book which tells us specific conditions, regardless of how successful your resuscitation is, you might need to consider to higher levels because just because you had a successful resuscitation, it's not that that does not mean that the baby is out of danger. Mm -hmm. So conditions like meconium aspiration, like I said, we are suspecting the baby must have aspirated. Even when you're suctioning, you're, when you're doing a deep suction, you, you may need to uh, suction a lot of meconium. These babies should still be referred. If the baby under, goes into respiratory distress, where the, the heart rate is still down, the baby is gasping, grunting respirations, they are getting cyanose despite being on auto, and if there are birth injuries, some babies just are on delivery, maybe in case of shoulder dystocia, where you had to fracture the clavicle for a baby to be delivered, they still need to be referred, even if the good outcome of resuscitation. For babies born with congenital malformations, because there are those which you can visibly see and you don't know what else is in the system. Also, for those with sustaining, sustained feeding difficulties, where there is enough milk being uh, expressed by the mother, but the baby is not taking in the milk. Where there is a poor weight gain, if the baby is having poor weight gain, even after your interventions, baby has been on the ward for a long time, but they're not gaining weight in the days to come. And where there is a maternal history of fresh tubes, if this mother has been delivering babies and they've been dying within the first one hour, or they are born with a low APCA score and a, low, and a bad outcome. The very low birth weights at the first level hospital, 1.5 to 2.4 is a low birth weight. I know that at UTH, the discharge criteria is birth weight of 1.4. But there they have the kangaroos, there is the incubators. So any, birth, uh, any low birth weight, 1.5 and below, should still be referred to a higher institution. Babies who are constantly hypothermic or hyperthermic, extremities of temperature despite interventions, mm -hmm. should also be referred. All right. Great. Thank you so much for coming through, Madam Fiona. been a pleasure listening to you and uh, educating the listeners. Pleasure is all mine, Mary. Okay. Thank you for listening to ZMED Podcast. Hope you find this podcast helpful. This podcast on medical lessons is brought to you by Solidamed in partnership with Lestenstein Development Agency.